Hi folks, this is Dan Dworkis with the Emergency Mind podcast coming to you today with something of a bonus episode. About two episodes ago, we interviewed Dr. Derek Monette, an ER doctor working at Massachusetts General Hospital. After our conversation, Derek reached back out to me and said, you know, I think we really need to come back together and talk more about how ER doctors and everyone else are processing the really serious emotional issues that are coming up in the middle of this pandemic. So we came together for this follow-up episode and talk about things like developing the toolkit it takes to process the emotional component of a difficult case while you are still on shift, and then the other tools it takes to process the emotional content of a difficult case afterwards when you have more time to dig into what it really means for you. Whatever you're going through right now, I hope this conversation adds a couple of options to your toolkit. Also, we now have an Emergency Mind newsletter. It's called Knowledge Under Pressure, and frankly, it's awesome. If you want to dig more into a lot of the concepts that we explore in this podcast, I definitely want to make sure that you get this newsletter. So go to emergencymind.com slash sign up. Okay, here we go. Hope you enjoy. All right, Derek, welcome welcome back, man. Welcome back for a little bonus round here. Um, Dan, thanks for having me back. Obviously, it's a treat for me to hang out with you a second time since it's been a while. Um, yeah, we spoke last time about how one of the sort of superpowers that we have in emergency medicine is the ability to put the blinders on and take care of people when they're having the worst day of their lives, sometimes with both you know, physical and sometimes psychological trauma, and we're able to care for them while also sort of turning off our own sort of limbic system so that way we can do the job at hand. Um, and I think of it as a superpower to an extent because it allows us to take care of a large number of people at all times of day, all days of week. But at the same time in the last several days um, after a couple of shifts, I've looked at it through a different lens, which is it also has the potential um, to weigh on us as clinicians over the course of weeks to months to years, the way we do this day in, day out. And so I think that though it is a superpower, we have to be gentle with it and give it the due diligence it deserves, which is checking in with each other and just making sure we aren't so good at our jobs that we lose sight of sort of our own kind of humanity. And I think that we're at, at risk for that, especially with um, you know, all of the PPE and, this, and the distancing we're doing both physically and socially at work and at home. So I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of weeks. Yeah, man, I think there's a lot there's a lot in there, and we've seen, um, you know, truly tragically, uh, some of the results of depression and burnout in some of the larger emergency medicine community throughout the country right now. And I, I know people all over the world involved on on this are are feeling that, and the ability to uh, to engage with what's right in front of us is clearly an important skill, like you said, but it has to be balanced by by something, by some ability to turn that off and become a human again. And, and uh, you know, I guess I guess I'll say right at the beginning of this conversation, like I am not an expert on this. I am certainly somebody who is learning this as they go along and um, somebody who does not always feel like he's able to do a great job turning off the emergency brain and becoming, you know, quote unquote human again, uh, whatever that means. And hopefully we can dig into that a little bit. (laughs) But but I think that art of gracefully coming down from the stress of a very challenging shift is, is a real thing and needs to be, needs to be trained. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you just mentioning that you were not an expert at this, because that's exactly what I wanted to say. And the next time I had a chance to comment, because I am by no means a therapist. I have no background in, in psychology or psychotherapy or psychiatry other than a rotation in medical school. Right. But um, I do have experience dealing with people and taking care of people on their worst days, which includes sometimes our, our colleagues. And I feel like even if just starting the conversation, we as emergency medicine physicians and clinicians can decrease the stigma by talking about this topic. It doesn't mean, you know, I have all of the advice, nor do you, but I think we can make an impact on our broader emergency medicine and healthcare community just by saying, you know, even before the coronavirus pandemic, we've been compartmentalizing the, some of the patient care so that we can do the job. Um, but the long-term impact that that has on us um, is something that I think we also need to be to be mindful of and figure out how to turn it either on off, sort of like a light switch, or figure out how to slowly kind of ramp down. Maybe you leave a shift and it's a drink with a colleague. You talk about the things that challenged you and you just vent a little bit. Um, I think there's a lot of utility in that. Um, we've been trying to do more of that virtually um, back at MGH. And I, and I think that it's something not unique to other programs. I think many other programs are finding their own ways to, to sort of support each other um, and then identify who might need some deeper resources. But I think, I think that by at least talking about the importance of this, of you know, mental health and the compartmentalizing we do at work is something that we need to, to keep talking about. And hopefully um, as the months go by and we get to the other side of this quote, whatever that might look like, we keep doing this because some of these problems are just exacerbated exacerbated by the the pandemic but they were there yeah and and i guess i'll say if you're listening to this and you're not an er doctor the pandemic is affecting everybody everybody is under stress and strain and and feeling pressure and things that they're not used to to fighting and and it affects everybody differently and so we're talking about this as two er doctors but that that doesn't mean that if you're if you are not in that position, but you are feeling this stress and you are feeling this pressure, that doesn't mean that you're not justified in feeling it. You are feeling what you're feeling and everybody has, you know, the, the struggle that they're currently working through right now. And oftentimes, you know, like you and I said, we're not therapists, but we are the ones that we turn to, right? Our colleagues are usually the ones that we turn to. And so if you're listening to this and you're supporting anybody, you're supporting yourself, like we're with you in all of this and we're trying to learn it together. Everybody's sort of in the universe at the same time. You know, I, I want to hear for a moment about what you guys are doing at Mass General, because I, I know you've been sort of trying out a couple of things and experimenting with some ways to, to sort of handle this. Dr. Takayisu, who I think you had on, on the program recently, um, he and I have been hosting, I think we're on maybe week seven right now, essentially virtual meetups on Zoom. They're after hours, meaning they're not on shift, um, and that's by design. Um, times to get either faculty, resident physicians, or advanced practice providers on a call together just really to support each other with a very, very loose um, debriefing structure provided by me and chemo. Um, we are intentionally dividing the groups up, which is somewhat counterintuitive. Both Kimu and I have done a lot of work in interprofessional education, focusing on teams. And we're actually leading into perhaps a positive that comes with some of the tribalism in medicine, because we, we noticed that uh, in our first attempt to get people talking about how they're feeling, just to, just to vent, just let's just get it out there. We're not going to come up with a solution. We just need to say it around our peers. Um, there's a natural hierarchy in medicine in which 
the faculty may be more comfortable doing that than you know a resident. Or alternatively, a faculty member may not necessarily want to admit that they're struggling too in front of their residents and those they supervise. So we actually decided to divide the team up, which is the opposite of what we typically try to do in simulation and create a safe virtual environment in which the tribes can kind of come together and speak with each other. So the residents support each other, faculty support each other, and then the APPs as well, with a longer term goal of identifying where there's some commonality across the groups and eventually bring everyone together, whether that's weeks from now or months from now. That's kind of where things are headed. So the basic idea is just to create a space where people can come together for the express purpose about about sort of talking through how to get how to get through this and how to get better at getting through this. Yeah, exactly. It's to process, it's to perform the processing that we can't necessarily do on shift, right? Because even even the most skilled, excellent debriefers who will debrief oftentimes you know, a clinical event in the emergency department, um, a death of a patient, um, a cardiac arrest, a challenging intubation, um, there's only so much time to process the emotional component when you're needing to also talk about the clinical content and the ways to improve perhaps operationally. So we decided that we're going to take the emotional processing out of the department. We're going to do it together in a space separate from where we perform our clinical work. So that way we can just strictly focus on that and give it the dedicated time that it needs. That's really what we're kind of making a, a pitch for that putting a lot of attention on the emotional processing of what the heck we just went through on that shift or what the heck we're going through on a week-to-week basis in this line of work going to the hospital every day when everyone else is staying home. We decided that that needed its own dedicated time just because it's it's so extreme. And as clinicians, as a lot of us in healthcare, we're almost too good going back to that superpower of compartmentalizing. So the threshold to get us just to talk about the emotional component of what we're experiencing at work and at home is already so high because by design, we oftentimes try to bury that away. So that's why we decided we needed a dedicated time. Um, And so we give it about an hour. Kimo and I have maybe one or two questions. Maybe we'll share something we're experiencing just to sort of model what it's like to talk about, you know, the tough stuff in front of our peers. Um, And then we kind of see where the conversation goes, gently steering it back toward peer support, normalizing empathy, as opposed to trying to problem solve and come up with a quick solution, which is what we often want to do to support our colleagues. But I think in general, we're finding that just being heard is, is as powerful as coming up with a, a practical or concrete um, uh, intervention. You know, I think a lot on this podcast and in the emergency mind in general, we talk about the mental models and the mechanics of delivering knowledge under pressure, something I'm clearly passionate about. But understanding that that also involves training yourself to interact with um, with humanity and with your humanity in a very different way is also, as you said, a really real part of it. And I don't think it's an obvious or easy to do part either. It's something I continually am a student of, certainly not a master of. It's not something that's often explicitly talked about, as you mentioned, on shift, because on shift it really justifiably has to be, okay, now the next person's sick and that next family needs every bit of my attention just like that last family did. What we've noticed in some of these conversations, both in the formal structure during these Zoom meetups and then in subsequent conversations one-on-one, is there's oftentimes one or two specific clinical cases that this just, our our brains just go there. I, I have mine as well. It's a trauma. It's a pediatric trauma from fourth year of residency 
I have to this day never really talked about it with anyone professional outside of, you know, now you and, and some close friends and others within emergency medicine, right? And you laugh a little bit because you're right, we're not professionals at this. Yet my comfort in sp- speaking about this with you, who I haven't physically seen for a year, is still so much higher than it'll be, at least at the beginning, with someone who might be professionally um, capable of, of, of helping me process and think about what that what that one in a sea of cases, but that one case that still sticks out and sometimes keeps me up at night. And this is a part of the emergency mindset that should be um, explicit in our discussion and potentially in our training and our education of the next generation. Because in order to do this job long-term, I think developing that skill of how you um, turn the emotions on or off in a, in a, uh, a patient care scenario, but then also go back to them later is something we should be explicitly doing. And I think that um, having some type of dedicated structure, even if it's loose, across departments, um, divisions, and, and other uh, hospitals is going to be so important to the longevity of, of our workforce. Um, and, it, and it's, there's unfortunately so much stigma because when we think of, you know, emotions and wellness, um, you know, oftentimes uh, it, it comes off or is couched as, um, at best, a non-technical skill. But at worst, words like soft or softer skills, I've heard, right, um, when really it's as much as, you know, the bread and butter of what we do as anything else, which is turn the limbic system on and off. So I, I'm increasingly interested in this topic, and I feel like, um, if anything, and it's perhaps sad to acknowledge this to you and the listeners, but the um, pandemic has just given me maybe more comfort in speaking about it, almost because I had to for my own sense of sanity. Um, but I, mean, I unfortunately almost needed that nudge um, to, talk, to start trying to do some type of more formal work in this space um, because of the stigma that I have to acknowledge, which is you know the culture in which we're all living. Yeah, man, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that for sure. And there is a different set of skills that we're going to need to move through a particular event and past it on shift to treat the next patient, right? Because we do live in this world where like the next family that shows up with their loved one, like they need us to be just as good as we were 10 minutes ago when that first person came in. And so there needs to be this fast washout phase that allows you to, to move, to adjust what needs to be adjusted and to come back for the next thing. And it's similar and different to the skill sets we need to do, for instance, when we're attempting to do an intubation and we miss the first pass and then you have to like adjust mentally on the fly and do the second pass. So you have to adjust from what happened and you have to be ready again to go maybe for another 10 hours, maybe for another 12 hours, depending on what your shift is, right? Um, But you also somehow need to be able to process that and you need the skills to process that so that tomorrow you're still there and in a month you're still there and in hopefully a lot of years we're still there doing that. I don't think that I left residency with all of those tools. Now that's not the end of the world. I think you know what I've learned over the several years since residency is that I didn't leave residency with all the tools for anything but that's that's okay (laughs) right you still grow and you learn and you get better as you go Mm -hmm. but it's important to at least have some foundational tools and to continue to grow and learn into that. So I, 
and I'd love to hear your take on this, but so lately I have been trying to iterate a little bit around this and experiment. And I come home from a shift and I, I'm trying out a couple of things to think about what I can do. Because to me, there's some phases to this, right? There's the immediate washout phase. How do you immediately start letting go? And then there's the like washout and then the process. And I'm sure that somebody listening to this who is more grounded in the theory of psychology and therapy is going to hear what I'm saying and be like, yeah, you're describing this thing that everybody already knows, which is right, awesome. Like, right, right. please reach out to me. Like, <laughs> right. let's have you on the podcast. Let's talk yeah. about how this works. Yeah. Clearly, we're all fumbling around with it. Yeah, but totally. An interesting side effect of, of the pandemic is that almost all of us um, have to change clothes at the end of our shift, or at least before we walk into our house, because we do not want to bring the clothes, we do not want to wear the clothes and the shoes that we see patients in into our space. Yep. And that didn't used to be the case. Like usually, you, you know, you probably wouldn't wear your work shoes around, but still, um, now we are like physically either before we get in the car or before we enter the home, we're, we're stripping and taking everything off. And, and interestingly, it's like a little bit of an opportunity to, to create that sort of, um, that sort of barrier, not barrier, that sort of uh, um, limiting change step or whatever the right word for that is as you're, as you're moving from one sort of mindset and one sort of universe to the other, um, which has been a source of experimentation. I wish I could say, yeah, hey, here's this perfect answer to it. And, you know, a couple of episodes ago, we put out that pre-shift mindfulness meditation, um, which uh, I hope has been helping people. And there was a, a request pretty pretty much right away, hey, can you build a post-shift cool-down meditation? Um, nice. Which I, I realized I don't actually know how to do. Yeah. Because I'm still trying Damn. to figure that out. <laughs> I've um, but I, I love that even just naming that. Sorry to interrupt you, but thank you for naming that post shift meditation or post post shift cool down. It immediately makes me think of uh, growing up as a swimmer. We would never just do a race and then go hang out until our ne next race. No, you had to cool down. You had to you know, you know sort of release all the lactic acid and kind of work it out of your system and do a couple laps, just nice and slow and cool. And that's that prepared you for the next one. I, I don't do that in emergency medicine. My, my cool down used to be whoever, to be honest, was out around the same time. Maybe we'd like go have a beer and, and talk about it. And I'm not saying that's a negative either, um, but that was really the extent of it. And there was certainly no structure. And I'm not sure, you know, the extent to which it was um, maximizing productivity or like how effective it was or when it actually could have been a little bit more. So, yeah, um, I like that post post shift cooldown. And you're right, there are probably a lot of people already working in the space for many years who might hear us talking about this and going, you know, it's amateur hour trying to talk about emotional uh, well-being. But you know what, if it is okay, we're very humble about this. But the reason why we're so novice is perhaps because we've, we, we trained, and this is not specific to um, uh, Mass General and the Brigham. I'm saying we, meaning I think we within healthcare haven't done a great job making it acceptable to talk about this while acknowledging you could still be super hardworking, right? Kick butt work ethic, really whip smart, know the fundamentals of clinical medicine and capable of talking about, hey, that was hard. What the hell just happened in that case and in that room? I, can't, I never thought I would have to face a situation like this with a patient or a family. You can do all of those things together. Um, they're not mutually exclusive. But I don't think I really appreciated or recognized that until after, until after residency. And so if by just talking about these topics, we sort of, I'll go back to this again, like a, like a broken record, but limit the stigma around it. 
so that we can make it more acceptable for the people who are maybe within emergency medicine who have maybe some, you know, psychology or psychiatric background or secondary training as well to help guide us through it all the, all the better because um, it's it was needed before uh, the pandemic. It's needed now. It's going to be needed uh, afterward too. You know, three things you just said there that that I think come together to form sort of a an arc of this, which is that, you know, one, we have to like, we have to limit and eliminate the stigma about needing to talk about this. It has to be part of our conversation. Um, two is that we need, we need tools. We need tools that we can use to really figure this out. Um, and then three is sort of, we have to be open to experimenting for ourselves about this mm-hmm. because it's unlikely um, that there's going to be one sort of custom built thing that works for everybody on this, right? Like there's, there's generally speaking, a cust- a, a pretty much standard way to run a code and to run a trauma is really unlikely that there's going to be a standardized way that, that is working at sort of helping you as a person, whoever you are listening to this, get through what happened and get to a space where you can start processing and moving forward. So part of that has to be a willingness and a desire to sort of experiment with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, In episode, man, 13 or something uh, with Dan McCollum out of uh, of Georgia, we were talking about, uh, you know, the idea of having a sort of lab notebook in the emergency department where you're you're writing down things as you go and sort of jotting down notes about how does something feel and how does, what are you working on and experimenting on and constantly sort of having this, this um, learner, this, this dedicated student mindset to it, this uh, beginner's mind, I guess is the right word for it, where you're constantly learning and evolving your process through resuscitation and through everything mm-hmm. else. And I think that logic applies here too. Um, so I, I don't know, skipping ahead slightly, that's my challenge to myself mm-hmm. after this conversation, mm-hmm. right? Which is to, to make my sort of experiment around coming, coming back to homeostasis, back to center after a shift, more explicit of an experiment, you know, try some things, write some things down, see how it feels. Um, yeah. and I'd, I'd invite anybody listening to this, like, I'd love to hear what you're working on for it. And we can toss this, we can toss this challenge out to the universe after we're off yeah. the phone here. Mm-hmm. You know, talking through everything is, is not everyone's, you know, everyone's jam. This is my, maybe it's my uh, very strong Italian side of the family coming through who loves talking about these things and finds strength in it and needs it in order to process. Others can kind of move forward and sort of do that mental washout you so eloquently described by watching really bad TV, right? And if that works for you, great. That's okay too. But I think recognizing the need to have a strategy or strategies, one or two that work for you is, is, is really important. And so, um, I'm happy we had a chance just to talk a little bit about that today. Well, whoever you are listening to this, I hope that you are, um, making it through your days well, and that you're reaching out to each other and supporting each other for help as you need it. I would encourage you to, to do what we talked about today, to, to listen and to talk about these ideas and to look for tools and to experiment for yourself to see what works and to talk to each other. Um, and to, and to tell us what you're doing that works because we, we all need better versions yeah, of this. Right. We're, we're all still in this kind of together figuring out what's going to be the best, what's gonna be the best approach. And so, yeah. um, thanks Dan for taking the time to explore all aspects of the emergency mindset and healthcare mindset at this point. Um, I think it's important, even if, even if they're sometimes hard to talk about. My pleasure, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Okay, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. 
Again, if you're interested in digging more into the concepts that we talk about in this episode and in the podcast in general, sign up for our newsletter, Knowledge Under Pressure. You can do that by going to emergencymind.com slash sign up. As always on this podcast, our mission is to dive into applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide specific medical advice. Additionally, our opinions are our own and not those of our respective employers. So train hard and good luck out there.